Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. This morning, I want to minister on a message that has been in my heart for a while. And the title of my message is Freedom Calls. Freedom Calls. I wouldn't really describe myself as somebody who loves watching movies, but once in a while, God ignites the passion in my heart to do it, or my wife helps me to do it. <laughs> you know, God works through people, right? So that's what I really meant. But just this um, summer, there was this movie, I'm sure most of us went to see it. The Sound of Freedom. I had the, the greatest opportunity to go see the movie. The reason why I, I, I maybe don't watch a lot of movies is that when I pick a story, I brood on the story. So I, I choose my movies quite carefully because I, I want to get a story that is something I can really sit on. So if you want to invite me for a movie, this is the, the thing, right? Just give me a gist of what the movie is about. Let me know. And then you can get me into it. See, at home, when we, we're watching a movie, my wife always controls the remote because... <laughs> are there some guys in the house like me? Because if I get a remote, you can go like 15 minutes. Yeah, this movie is not really making sense. Why am I wasting my time on this? You know, I have the tendency of changing it all, trying to... The self-control ways, please handle the remotes. <laughs> and then we all sit to watch. But when we, we went to see this um, Sound of Freedom, as I sat you know, in, the, in, the, in the, um, the place watching the movie, and when we left and came back home, I, I, I thought over the story of the movie. And I realized that this particular group of people who were you know, carried out in the, in the story is just one of the many groups of people around the world who are crying for freedom. I personally found it as a prophetic message to the body of Christ. I believe so strongly in my heart that children in, you know, being trafficked for whatever purpose is just one of the many groups of people who are crying for freedom. And God, I believe, used the movie to awaken the body of Christ to a place of intentionally pursuing the cry that goes around us in our communities and across the world. You know, last week, Johnny, powerful message, where is he? Maybe somewhere up there. He brought us up on the mountain to experience the glory of God. And you know, on, on Tuesday when we, we had a, um, a staff meeting, I said, Johnny, you brought us to the mountain and you left us on the mountain. Now, how do we get, how do we get back down the mountain? And I said, 
my message on Sunday is going to bring us down the mountain because we can stay on the mountain forever. We kind of laughed about that, but that was a very powerful message, you know, bringing us to the place where God is calling us to. So this morning, my message is basically to bring us down the mountain. After experiencing the glory of God, the magnificent beauty of God's radiance and the light and all of that, what do we do with that? We can't just stay up on the mountain forever. God wants us to come down the mountain. Why? Because there is an assignment down the mountain. We've been looking at lights. That is the theme for this time, this, this period, um, you know, this next year. And the Bible said that we are the lights of the world. What is the essence of light if it cannot shine in the darkness? Light is nothing to itself. If light cannot shine in the darkness, it is basically nothing to itself. And so in the business of our day-to-day engagements and activities, God wants us to know how to become instruments of the light to shine in places where people are crying for freedom. You know, when cry goes out for long and it is not noticed, it can easily become a noise. When people cry for a long time and no response is given, no attention is given, it can easily be considered as a noise. But originally, it was a cry. And so it means that we cannot keep sitting and doing our own things without responding to the cry. When you drive around, watch television, you know, through your day-to-day normal life, I am very sure that if we can really put our ears down, we can hear the cry going on in our society, going on in our communities. Wherever God has placed you, it doesn't matter. Everywhere, there is something going on. But the point is this. We can all listen, but only few can hear. And we can all look, but only few can see. It takes those who can beyond the listen here to perceive the cry. And it takes those who can beyond the look and see to know where the cry is. In the kingdom of God, or for us as God's children, hearing and seeing is discerned by the heart. It is not a response we can get from our senses. The senses are limited. You know, in science, we're told of all the five senses and whatever. It has a place that it has a place in our lives. But if you want, we want to limit our acquisition of knowledge only to the five senses, there is danger in the body of Christ. There is so much information beyond what the five senses can give us. 
And that is what the heart can get. And even as I talk, maybe in your own family, you have identified some of this cry. Maybe in your workplace, you have identified some of this cry that I'm talking about. Maybe in your business, wherever you are, you've, in your school, wherever you, you function, maybe you've identified some of this cry. And you're asking yourself, what can be done? And so we can hear well and see well. We cannot respond well. Until we can hear well and see well, we cannot respond well. In Isaiah 6 verse 9, there is a beautiful story, you know, the beautiful description of this concept for us. Isaiah 6 verse 9, the Bible says, and he said, go and tell these people. This is God talking to the, the prophet Isaiah. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So God is saying that there is something beyond what these senses alone can, can give you. And like I said, it is the discernment of the heart that brings us to that very place. I mentioned earlier on that when we come to the top of the mountain, that is not where God wants us to be. God wants us to come down. In Matthew chapter 17, verse, 16, verse 14 to 16, this is where Jesus Christ went, the Mount of Transfiguration. That is where it came from, Matthew 17, verse 16. It says, and when they had come to the, come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Let's look at the verse 18. The verse 18 says, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Before this incident happened, Jesus, Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain experiencing the glory of God, beautiful encounter with God, Moses and Elijah as well. For those of us who know the story, when they went out there, Peter was so excited about the sight. He said, Jesus, it is good that we just stay here. I can build you, you know, a tabernacle, a tent. I can build one for you, build one for Elijah, and build one for Moses. It is so beautiful. Let us stay here. I don't know whether Peter went up there with tools to make tents. I don't even know. But man, the guy was ready to make a tent, to live there. And sometimes that is what we do as God's children. We experience God and we feel like it is just for me to be here. Oh, this is so good. But down below the mountain, this man was crying. My son needs healing. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. And nobody can help me. I am very sure Peter did not hear the cry of this man when he was up there. But Jesus heard the cry of the man. So when G Peter said, I can make a tabernacle for you and for you know, uh, Moses and Elijah, Jesus did not even talk. <laughs> he did not even mind Peter. 
the Bible says, whilst Peter was talking, God spoke through that. But the point I'm making is this. Sometimes you can just enjoy the experience that we have with God and neglect the voice of those who are crying on the other side. But Jesus came down and brought healing to this boy. He ended the cry that this man was going through. Only God knows how long this man had been crying over the life of his son. Nobody, the Bible doesn't give a detailed explanation. But he had been crying for long. And that very day, Jesus Christ brought him freedom. And so when God brings us to the place, it doesn't matter your level in the faith. Whatever you've experienced as a Christian, you are the light of the world. And you can be a response to someone's cry out there. Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, the Bible says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He said, let your light shine before men, not before God. God doesn't need our light. He is already light. Our light might shine before men. He said, let it shine before men. So that by that shining, they will see the works of God and glorify him. So God is a giver of light. He doesn't need our light. We don't, how much light from us can, can please God? It is for others who are in darkness. And that is why this month or this season, God is bringing our attention to you. When I sit down and examine, you know, the body of Christ and the church in Canada, North America, this is where we are now. Sometimes it looks like day in and day out, darkness keeps on increasing. And the light keeps on diminishing. And it looks like darkness is pushing so much and the light is you know, dwindling day by day. And it beats my mind because we all know that light doesn't struggle to shine in the place of darkness. Scientifically speaking, that is how it is. So it it's makes me ask questions. Why is it that this is happening? I met someone about three or so, maybe three months or two months ago. And we realized, you know, we're all Christians. And so the conversation moved to talking about church and Christianity and all of that. And I, I, I wanted to listen to this fellow. So I was quiet for a very long time. And I listened to him. But as I listened to him, I saw, I saw the level of his... I wouldn't want to use anxiety. Maybe that's very strong. But hopelessness is the right word I'm looking for. Thank God. The level of hopelessness that this person had concerning how the church of God can even, you know, stand or function in this era. And he's born again a Christian. And, you know, he told me all the stories from pre, you know, COVID and whatever and gave all the stories about all of that. And as I listened to him, of course, the conversation ended well. We, I, I encourage him to know that all, all is not lost yet. <laughs> There is hope. Hallelujah. There is hope in God. 
What we can see with our eyes is not what really... See, there is more beyond that. Sometimes we can see the, the, the enemy coming against us. But when God opens our eyes, we can see the chariots all around us. So we need to see beyond what the physical things are to know what God is doing. I encourage this fellow that, you know what? Oh, it's not done yet. God is moving elsewhere in the world mightily. And that is what God has always done. The fact that you might not see some of these in North America does not mean that is it. God is the God of all the world. And so there is hope in this, in this region as well to experience the might and the power of God. But my question is this. How many Christians think this way? When our, our, our perspective is, is shaped by this approach, we keep on pushing back. Instead of moving forward, we will push back. And pushing back can be done in so many different ways. When I was doing this message, I came across an article. I just want to read a little piece of it. It was a research that was done in the U.S. And I think maybe it will apply a little bit to Canada or maybe the same. That's what I've heard since I came to Canada. Pretty much everything in the U.S. applies some way, somehow. I could be wrong. But this research was about the decline of Christianity in the U.S. And so it was done by a group called Pew Research Center, P-E-W. You can um, go look for it. But the, this is a, it defines itself as a non-partisan fact tank organization that informs the public about issues, attitudes, and trends shaping the world. So according to what I read, it's not a partisan um, organization. And so they are into doing research, and they did re this research about the state of Christianity um, in the U.S. Actually, the same research was published by the Washington Post and um, the Christian Christianity Today. Same date, September 20, September 13th, just last year. I want to read a little bit of what I, I got from that article. It says, there are some who say that revival never happens in an advanced economy. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. There are some who say that revival never happens in an advanced economy. After secularization, you cannot put toothpaste back in the tube. Let me read something that is um, the next paragraph here. It says, people are giving up on Christianity. They will continue to do so. And if you are trying to predict the future religious landscape in America, according to the Pew, which is the research group, the question is not whether Christianity will decline. It is how fast and how far. This is a scientific research group, and that is their finding. But what does the word of God say? Hallelujah. What does the word of God say? They have done their research, interviewed people, have their findings, and this is what they're telling us. And so if we just want to limit ourselves to these kind of findings, this is what we would live our lives by day in and day out. But we are the lights of the world. And as long as we live here, the light of God will shine through us. It doesn't matter who told you that God cannot touch hearts. What is advanced economy before God? God has seen many things of old. 
He has seen kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. This morning, what I want us to do is that as we try to find the reason why it appears that the church is declining, maybe in North America or in some part of the world, what are we supposed to do? You see, these facts do not change the fact that you and I are the light of the world. You know. You know that for yourself. I know that for myself. That we are the light of the world. And this is where God has placed us for such a time as this. What can we do? How should we do it? How do we approach living in this society as the light of the world? To be able to shine and advance the kingdom of God. I believe there is a God wisdom and a God strategy. And this morning, that is what I want us to look at. Praise God. My prayer is that by the time that we end this service, God will give you some tools by his spirit to be able to, you know, live as someone who is, is an agent of the light. Because you know what? Every freedom has an agent. Every freedom has an agent. Go through history. No freedom just came by chance. Somebody stood up and said, I'm going to stand and fight for freedom. And I believe that is biblical because Jesus Christ became the agent of our salvation, of our freedom. And who knows why God is giving you life to live now in such a time as this. And so, like I said, I want us to look at a story in the Bible to see how we can live as lights in this world. As long as people continue to live in darkness, they will cry. It's a sad story, but that is the truth. You know, I was trying to get um, the relationship between darkness and crying. People have no phobia in light. Light does not produce any phobia. We know all the phobias, fear of something. The only phobia that maybe light could produce is what they call the photophobia. Basically, it's about the intensity of light. So we all, you know, we all can operate in a certain level of, of, of brightness. See, in the office, let me just talk about my brother David. When I see David in his office reading his Bible or reading a book, I'm like, man, David, you've got some good eyes. The kind of light he uses to read, I can use it. But that is a preferred light for him. So the point I'm making is this. There, is, there, there isn't any phobia of light necessarily. We all love different levels of light to be able to operate effectively. And so photophobia would, de would determine how much intensity of light that a person you know, loves. But darkness has got a phobia with it. No matter what, it's not about the intensity of darkness. And that is called a nyctophobia, N-Y. NC, let me spell it for you if you want to read more. N Y C T O and then phobia. Nyctophobia. It is the fear of darkness. And that is a phobia. And so, as long as people live in darkness, there will be a crying. And we are the people that God is trusting to become the agents of light to these people. So, let's flip our Bibles to the book of Exodus. I want us to look at the story of Moses. And see how God used Moses to be a light. Most of us, I'm very sure, are familiar with the story of Moses in the Old Testament. But I believe there are some 
secrets there that God wants to give to us. Exodus chapter 3. Let's read from the verse 1 through to the verse 10. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Exodus 3. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is where Jonathan left us last week. Praise God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will, not, I will now turn aside and see this great side. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. If the Bible is yours, you can highlight that or underline that. I have, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's spare ourselves all the names. And move to the verse 9. Do you agree with me? <laughs> now therefore, behold, the cry of the Lord, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you, might, you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. Beautiful story. Background for those of us who might not be familiar with the story. Israel came to Egypt through Joseph who was sold by his brothers. And then when he came after a long time, God lifted him to greatness in the land of Egypt. And so when farming came upon the land, the hope at the time, the family of you know, um, Jacob moved to Egypt to, to have safety because their brother Joseph had power and God used him to bring them to Egypt. And so that is the story of how the Israelites came to Egypt. But with time they became slaves in the land. And the Bible says that Pharaoh began to oppress these people because he saw that they were increasing. You know, they were just multiplying and he was afraid that he, if he doesn't suppress them maybe they might revolt and take over political stuff there right but this is how the israelites came to egypt and the bible says that there came a time they were crying to god for freedom why because it was so hard for them to bear the pain of their life moses story is interesting in this whole package he was born in egypt but when he was born, circumstances helped him to grow up in the palace of Pharaoh. And whilst he was growing up, he found that the Egyptian was fighting with 
an Israelite, and because he had in his heart the, the, the pain, desire to free his people, he approached it, but in a different way. And so he killed the Egyptian. If you go to the book of Exodus, you get all this story. I'm trying to summarize it. And then when he was being, um, he, was, he became a wanted man, and so he fled and went and stayed somewhere in the land of the Midianites. And so this is where God met him. Moses went there, got a wife, began to have a family, and his father-in-law, Jethro, had, you know, um, more or less employed him. And so he was a shepherd tending the sheep. And in the course of his time, God met him and spoke to him that he, God, was going to choose him, had chosen him, Moses, to go back to the land of Egypt to redeem the Israelites. Moses was destined to be the deliverer of the Israelites even when he was a young boy. He had it in his heart. That was why he began to fight to defend them. It was a wrong approach. But at the right time, the calling of God, what the Bible says is, God, you know, it's irrevocable. When God calls you, he's called you. God revisited the same Moses again to ignite that calling and to bring him back to it. And so Moses, they had been there for at least 400 years at a time when God appeared to Moses. And God said, I have heard the cry of my people. People of God, I, I can tell you that as we drive around and move around, God speaks to our hearts about the cry of certain people. Because God hears the cry and he puts the cry in our hearts. Don't push away the voice of God about the cry he puts into your heart. Because who knows, you might be the only deliverer for that group of people. You might be the only deliverer. Moses was out of Egypt. There were so many people in Egypt at the time. Why did God not choose any of them but had to chase Moses who was already wanted in Egypt to come back and be the deliverer? You might be the deliverer to that group of people that God is placing on your heart. Don't push it away. Amen. And so the Bible says that Moses began to respond with God. You know, he began to, to respond to God and he began to find a way to, to, you know, more or less push this calling aside. God, I cannot really do this. I can't. And we all do that in some, you know, some way, somehow. We all do that. God calls us to do something and we look at all the things involved and you're like, God, this is too much for me. Choose someone else. Someone is better than me. I can do this. I can do that. And I believe that is one of the reasons why the light of God is not shining in our world as it is supposed to be. Three things that I want us to quickly look at that make us give reasons to God for not being able to do what he's called us to do. The first one, I believe, is fear. Fear is this whole thing that, pre that makes us feel so timid in the fear of the calling of God. We are afraid of the opposition, the, the persecution, the challenges, the systems of the world. We, we, we get afraid of all of that. Jesus, of course, said, I've sent you as sheep among wolves. And so, yes, if any sheep gets among wolves, the natural thing to, to, to feel is fear. 
And so this is one of the reasons why I believe most of us are not responding to what God is calling us to do well. The second thing I believe is insecurity. I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. Someone else can speak this better than me. So God, choose that person. Jeremiah, God called him and he said, I am only a youth. I can't even, you know, I'm not qualified, God. So insecurity is just the third one. Sorry, the second one. The third one, I believe, is selfishness, which comes in a very subtle way. Sometimes we don't even know that we are being selfish, but we are actually being selfish. I mentioned the story of Peter at first. When Jesus, James, and John went, you know, to the mountain, how come Peter decided that he was going to build the three mighty men a tabernacle to live there. He said, Lord, it is good that we stay here. Peter knew that there were 12 disciples. Just think about that. You were privileged to be chosen by Jesus to be among the three, to go and see the glory of God and the beauty of God. The other nine guys did not see it. At least go and narrate to them what happened on the mountain. At least. Peter said, it is good for us to stay here. Let's leave those guys. Maybe he didn't say that, but that's kind of. <laughs> but if you're going to stay there, what happens to the night guys waiting down the mountain? And sometimes that's what we do. We experience God, his power, his glory, his might. And we're just like, God, this is so good. I just want to be here all by myself. We might not even say it, but we just stay there. The other dimension of selfishness is just. Take the story of Jonah. God calls him and says, this city of Nineveh needs me because the sins of these guys have come up to me. And Jonah tells God, you are too good. You are too merciful. I know that when I go and speak to them, you will forgive them, so I'm not going to go. Wow. Prophet of God. He wants God to punish them because they were so sinful. But the heart of God hears a cry and beats for those people. The Bible says when Jonah finally accepted the call, the whole land of Nineveh repented. A fast was declared by the king. He said no one should eat, not even animals. Look at the heart, a level of humility and brokenness. And Jonah was running away. May God help us. Amen. And so back to the story of Moses. I want us to look at three things again that we can learn from Moses as we respond to what God has called us to do. The first one is I want us to always remember the place of your road. The place of your road. You see, when God called Moses, let's read Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. And let's see what God did with Moses. He said, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. Cast it on the ground. 
So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Wow. Moses has given all the reasons why he couldn't, he wasn't qualified to go. And God did not accept any of them. Finally, he says, okay, what about if I go and they, they don't want to listen to me? What should I do? God said, what is in your hand? And I believe God is asking us the same question today. What is in your hand? What gift is in your hand? What talent have I placed in your hand? What career have I given to you? What career have I given to you? What education have I given to you? What knowledge do you have? See, Moses was a shepherd. And for a shepherd, his rod was the point of his career and his profession. It was his. For him to become a successful shepherd, he needed his rod. You could not be a shepherd without a rod. And so that was the pillar of Moses' career. If it were to be in our days, we would say by his rod, he was being able to pay his bills. And God said, throw that rod down. It is for you, Moses, I know. But throw it down. Let there be a disconnection between the rod and you. You have possessed your rod for so long. Throw it down, give it to me. And see what I'm going to do with the rod. And so the Bible says in the verse 3. Can I please have that on verse 3 of the same part that we read? He said, and cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. The rod he had always carried by himself, when he allowed it to leave him to God, it became something that he had never seen in his life before. Many of us are holding our rod. We are Christians all right, but we are holding our rod. See, Moses was a Jew. The fact that he wasn't in Egypt doesn't mean he was, he was a Jew. But his rod was his. He had not given his rod yet to the God of the Jews. For God to use him mightily, God said, leave that rod. Put it down. Don't possess it anymore. If you can leave that rod to me, you will see the mighty works I can do with that rod. And I believe this morning God is speaking to some of us. Give me that career. Give me that education. Give me that investment. Give me that gift. Give me that talent. Throw it to me and see what I'm going to do with that. The Bible says when Moses threw the rod, he came to a point where he had no control over the rod again. Think about that. He fled from the serpent that came out of the rod. It symbolizes control. He, from that point, had to depend on God to be able to possess, to, to possess the rod that God had given to him. When it happened, the next verse says that, please, the verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand. Please put it there. Moses threw the rod down. He became a serpent. At that very time, he didn't know how to get the, the rod back into his hand. He had to listen to God. For the next step, when you give your role to God, it brings you to a place of working with him to hear his voice before you can go back to it again. If you give that career to God and say, God, 
use this career to bring your life to people. It is mine, but I give it to you. It is no more yours at that point. God tells you what to do with your career. When he tells you, take some days break to seek my face about the next phase of your career, you will listen because at that point, it is for God. Moses said, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. I'm telling you, people of God, it is an intentional act that we all have to do. It doesn't just happen automatically. It is an intentional act. Give it to God and see what God can produce from it. Moses did not really value his, his rod so much. He was so familiar with his rod. He did not even know the, the potential that the rod had. No matter how vulnerable our rods are in our hands, its potential is still limited until it goes to God. Until we drop it to God. You might think you've seen the potential of your rod, but I can tell you, you've seen nothing yet. Just give it to God. And see, we know the story that from that very time, God began to use that rod to do mighty works in the life of Moses. He said, go to Pharaoh. Point that rod, it turned the water into blood. The same rod paved a way for them through the Red Sea. The same rod gave them water on the desert. I mean, mighty works came from that simple rod. But when it was in the hands of Moses, it could do nothing. But just to tend sheep. But just to tend sheep. And this morning God is saying, give me that rod. It has been in your hand for so long. You think you know the potential, but you don't know the potential yet. I've got something big to do with that rod. Can you just give it to me? And see what I will do. Hallelujah. It is a selfless act that we need to take. The Bible talks of Hannah. This woman had... For many years, she had no child in her life and God gave her Samuel and she said, I will go and give him to the Lord. Think about that. The Bible said, Hannah carried the baby after he was weaned, went and gave the child to God. And after that, she got many other children. I'm telling you, when we can give our rod to God, we will see what God can do with that rod. Praise God. The next thing I want us to know, and so before I go to the next thing, the point I want us to make, understand here is this. Whatever comes into contact with God becomes a tool for God. Whatever comes into contact with God becomes a tool for God. It doesn't matter how small you think it is. As long as you give it to God. And I even want to pause here. Maybe you are here this morning, you've not surrendered your life to God. And as I talk about rod, it's like, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a shepherd, I have no rod. It begins with your life. Have you surrendered this life to God? Have you given that life of yours to God? God can do much more than you have seen in your life right now. If you make a decision to give that role to him, to give your life to him, to surrender your life to him, he can do more with that. It begins from there. And after you've done that, then the rest can go to God. And so that is the first thing I want us to understand. The second point I want us to understand is the place of your Pharaoh. You know, when God called Moses, there was a Pharaoh in Egypt that Moses had to face. And remember, Moses had already fled from that political system because they were chasing after him to kill him. 
Thank God there was a different, you know, man on the throne at the time, but he still had a case on that table. And so he was not just going back to Egypt as an innocent guy. Maybe someone who saw him was still in the palace and could let the king know that this guy is the one we've been fighting for. His photos are all over the place. Now he's back. Let's go get him. Why would God choose this man to go back and redeem his people? Hmm. Sometimes you think you've messed up so much. Messed up so much. You think you've got no story. Or you think your story is so bad that you cannot even be used by God. Maybe you are the one that God really needs to go back to that same place. Because you can identify with the people who are in that situation. You know, you can feel it. You have experienced it. You have a story to tell. And so you can go back. I believe when God brought Moses to this point, he began to remember what he felt in his heart when he fought against that Egyptian who was, you know, beating up that Israelite then before he fled. I believe God brought all this to the memory of Moses. And so Moses knew what he was going to face. But Moses understood the place of his Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. Let's read what is there. He said, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? What qualifications have I got to go before Pharaoh? Moses knew that there was a Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And you know what? Everywhere that God calls us, there is a Pharaoh. We have to understand that. There is a Pharaoh is a system that keeps people in bondage. That is what I'm talking about. Pharaoh is a system in the educational system, our political system, you know, in our communities, business world that keeps people in bondage. That is the Pharaoh I'm talking about. And if, you, if God is calling you to that place, you cannot be ignorant of the schemes of the Pharaoh there. And I know most Christians don't want to talk about, you know, these kind of, you know, spiritual warfare stuff and all this. But you know what? We can't behave like an ostrich. Hallelujah. God has given us power over the things of the enemy, but we must know what the enemy does in this world. Jesus calls him the, the prince of this world. He died on the cross to give us the power, but we must know. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, he said, Least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Other versions say we are not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. If we do that, he gets advantage over us. You must know what you are fighting against. Moses was not ignorant of the schemes of Pharaoh. He knew the place of his rod, but he was also aware of what Pharaoh could do. The Bible says that when Moses went there, it took Pharaoh to experience 10 plagues before he allowed the Israelites to go. If you are ignorant of the schemes of the Pharaoh that you're fighting with, sometimes, you no, know, you pray, you do stuff, and if you don't see results, you just back back. God is with you, and you do not have to be afraid. Just know what God has prepared for you in that place. Don't be ignorant. How does he work in the school system? How does he work in the business system? How does he work in the family system, in the marriage system? Know the schemes of the enemy. That is for you and I to know. And Moses knew that. 
When we've gotten this knowledge, then we can stand. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, he said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul was not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. He knew what the enemy could do. And so he said, it doesn't matter the stronghold. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It is mighty through God. To pull down every stronghold. And this morning, I even pray over your life. This morning, that as the word of God comes in the name of Jesus, any stronghold that are before you, in the place that God has called you to influence, let them be pulled down in the name of Jesus Christ. We cast down every argument that stands before the things of God. In Jesus' name. He said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Mighty through God. Mighty through God. Mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. So when you face the strongholds, you know that the weapons that I have are not carnal. It is mighty through God. When you face arguments at the workplace, in your business, you know that there is a strong, there is a, there is a, there is a weapon that God has given you. And that weapon is able to cast down arguments. Sometimes you don't even need to worry yourself engaging with people. Just go into your closet and handle those arguments there. Cast down the arguments in your closet and it will end at the workplace. You don't need to engage in every, every argument physically. If you know how God works through this stuff, you know how to handle these things. But when we are ignorant of it, then we can easily be deceived. Moses was not ignorant of the Pharaoh that he was dealing with. This is how your light shines in the place of darkness. Pharaoh thought that he was a stubborn king. He was so powerful. But at the end of the day, the glory of God was revealed. And then the last one is, you must know the place of your I am. I am. Exodus chapter 3, the verse 13 and 14. It says this. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? Good question. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, That you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. I thought God would say, I am the mighty God. I am the God of all battles. I am the Lord. You know, I thought God was going to give a different name, but he said, I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. You know what? It was a revelation that God gave to Moses. That my name as Emmanuel is going to be with you every single way of this journey. It doesn't matter how tough it becomes, I am with you. If you read further, God says, and this shall be my name across all generations. So when Jesus Christ came and said, Emmanuel, I am here, I am with you. He was referring to this same name of God. Moses caught this revelation of the presence of God on the journey. And so he said, God, if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going. If you're not going to move with me on this journey, 
Let me just stay here and do my, my job. When you know that the presence of God is going to be with you every step of the journey, I'm telling you, it gives you confidence and boldness. You know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter how Pharaoh tries to lift himself up. God is with you. It doesn't matter how stubborn the situation becomes. God is with you. Why? Because he said, I am has sent you. When Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 said we should go to the whole world, he said, I will be with you always. That was the same promise. I am will be with you. As you take this step and begin to respond to the cry of the people that God has sent you to, remember this. I am is with you. I am is with you. If you need to pray for somebody, I am is with you. If you need wisdom to share with someone, I am is with you. If you need boldness to stand before Pharaoh, I am is with you. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. That is the promise. Sometimes we feel we are alone. I'm helpless. God, I've done all this by myself and I can't even do it anymore. I am is with you in that moment. When you feel you've done everything that you, you should do but cannot do anymore, remember, I am is with you. You've tried your best over and over again, but you can't even see the results. I am is with you. He said, tell them that I am has sent me. Jesus said, I am the vine. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, then you can bear more fruits. And he said, without me, you can do nothing. Very, very important. So God wanted Moses to know that without me, you can't do anything. Therefore, remember this. I am who I am. And tell my people that I, God, by this name, is the one who has sent you. This morning, when you get into the place of challenge in your life, do you remember that I am still with you? When you go on your bed and you pray and you pray and you seek the face of God, about that health condition and you cry to God, do you remember that I am is with you? That is the promise that you give to Moses. And that same promise is with us today. I am is with you. I want to encourage you this morning, people of God. It doesn't matter how this whole thing life becomes. It doesn't matter the, the news you see. It doesn't matter the things you read. The research, you know, findings I read. It doesn't matter how all these things God said, I am. And that name has not changed. I am. I want to even encourage you that as we come together tonight to pray, come. Come and let us pray. You know, I read an article last week on prayer and something really, a quote in there. The person who wrote the article said, if your prayer life were to be the power that lights, that produces the lights in your house, what will be the light in your house? Something like that. I can't quote it exactly. But basically what she was trying to say is that if the, if the power that generates light in your house is produced by your prayer life, how would that light be? And it shook me. So, wow. But now we know that I am is with us. And so it doesn't matter how things become. We can stand with God. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And please, let's be on our feet as we bring this service to an end. I believe that God has 
brought you to the place of even reminding you of the cry that you might have even, you know, considered as a noise in your life. And this morning, God is here to give you the assurance that he gave to Moses again. That I am who I am and I am with you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless your holy name this morning. You are the God that has promised to be with us. You are the God that has promised to be with us. Your word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Father, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just lift your voice and begin to thank God for your life. Thank God for your family. Thank God for your career. Thank God for the road that he has given to you. Thank God for that road. Maybe it is your business. Maybe it is your career. Maybe it is, it is you know, um, your gifts, your talents, your investment, whatever it is. Thank God for that. Because God can use that to bring a change in the lives of the people that he has sent you to be a light unto. We give you praise, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.